live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a loaded show today. Not that we normally don't, but this one is extra loaded, so we definitely don't want to waste any more time jumping into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you, so make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com, join in the conversation on our social media accounts, they're all right there. Check out Parlay Points, new comic review blogs up, going into Black Friday, you need to check those out. The T Public Store, which has always got something going on there, and so much more is at odphpodcast.com. So check it out and make sure to use the hashtag ODPHPod. Kicking off this edition of the entertainment show, we have to break down the latest on Disney Plus from Marvel Studios. Mm-hmm. We are back. It's now officially MCU season, shall we say? I mean, MCU season never stops, but yes. Well, we had a little detour because obviously What If was a great addition to the Marvel family on Disney plus, but did it really feel like it was connected until the very end? I mean, not yet, but in the future, maybe right. But now we are back with a familiar face leading the charge. And that is one Jeremy Renner reprising his role as Clint Barton on the new show Hawkeye. So this one, obviously we're going to be picking up where he is in the events after Endgame. We are going to be talking spoilers. So if you have not seen the Disney Plus show just yet. We're going to timestamp when we're going to be talking because we don't want to ruin this for you. After you see the episode, come back in and jump in because we definitely want to interact with you about this. So after the countdown, you know how it goes. In three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? I thought it was a really good episode. Uh, first episode was a really good setup and introduction, and then the second one was a really good action sequence and a just great kicking off point. This really felt like a holiday show. Kind of, yeah. I'm not going to lie about it. I know that when we heard that Hawkeye was going to be coming to the small screen via Disney+, Plus, a lot of high expectations were there because there's always been a story, if you've been a Hawkeye fan, that they could do, and that is the Matt Fraction, David Aha run. Mm-hmm. If you could get that onto the small screen, that would be the biggest thing ever if you're a Clint Barton fan. And this show is loosely taking a lot from it, sure. which is great. I'm all in on it. From what I've seen about it thus far from the trailers, I've been extremely excited about it. Like we said, Jeremy Renner is reprising his role as Clint Barton. We're now introduced to Kate Bishop, played by Haley Steinfeld. Mm. And we know that she is going to have a very big part in the next phase of the MCU moving forward. So we weren't really sure when we were going to hit the ground running, what exactly what we're going to get. But we are here because this episode kicked off with a nice little flashback. Yeah to 2012 uh-huh. and the Battle of New York. And we see a young Kate Bishop watching her world literally come crumbling down around her because yeah. she's living in New York City when the Chitari are attacking. Yeah, And then she does see that uh, an alien is coming right at her. Her life is flashing before her eyes. And somebody saves her. Mm-hmm. And who is that, Pat? Uh, it's one Hawkeye, a.k.a. Clint Barton himself. Yes, where he shoots an arrow to... to 
take the glider off the track. Mm-hmm. So the alien averts attacking. She is inspired by this. And then she also sees him do the infamous jumping off the cliff hero pose, yep. shooting the arrow as yep. he's swinging in. So that was kind of, kind of a little cool homage. Yeah. You know, taking it back to yeah, 2012. It was, it was a fun, and I didn't realize we were going to jump in at that point. You know, the episode starts in New York. She's in the penthouse apartment where her parents are arguing, you know, life issues. And then shit just hits the fan. And, yeah. and then, you know, the, the room starts rumbling and then the camera just kind of pans up. And you see shit flying overhead, and instantly you're like, "Oh no, I know where this is. Oh, this isn't good." You know her, and then you get her father dying. You know, and she gets motivated, and the mother says, "Anything you want, I'll get it for you. Anything I can do to help." And because she's been inspired by Hawkeye, she goes, "I want a bow and arrow." Yes, which is reasonable for any grieving child. Yes, doesn't everybody get their grieving child a bow I, and arrow? I was gonna say, you know, how they played it off well of showing her origin, I thought it was very cool. Yeah. And we do see that interaction with her mom, Eleanor, played by Verna Farmiga. Mm-hmm. So we do have that, you know, trying to cope with what has happened from New York and the inspiration of the hero. And as we see a quick shot to her a little later as she's now in present day, uh, taking a bet of shooting an arrow at a church bell mm-hmm. or a school bell. And just kind of the wacky hijinks that go on with that, that she is not the polished superhero that we are accustomed to seeing in the comics. That this is her year one, literally. Yeah, and there's a fun Easter egg if you pay attention to the uh, bell tower. Uh, Obadiah Stane's name is on it. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely love seeing all the little Easter eggs they had for this. Like yeah. they, they Throughout the show thus far, they've really been nailing them out. Yeah. But as we were talking about what she's doing away and as she's now becoming more inspired by Clint Barton, we do catch up with our hero in New York City at a musical. Mm-hmm. Pad, what is this musical? Rogers the Musical, a.k.a. Uh, we only saw a bit of it, but I'm guessing it's about the life and trials of one Steve Rogers. Yes. Which, fun fact, with this I read this morning, that musical was performed by actual Broadway veterans. You could tell. Yeah. Because when they did their musical <laughs> number, I was dying. Yeah, I was too. Because they did the infamous scene when the Avengers come together to fight the Chitari. And everybody has their, like, little singing moments, and yeah. it, it's incredible. Like, they really knocked it out of the park with this. And you just see uh, Clint Barton just, like, sculling. Like, yeah, he hates it because he's like, I was there. He's seeing a, a woman on stage who looks very similar to Natasha, so he's dealing with that. He's dealing with the fact that, fact that Ant-Man is on stage and he wasn't even there. Yeah. You know, we also find out that, hey, the toll of battles is finally catching up with him because he has a hearing aid in his ear. Yes. And he's uh, lost a little bit of hearing in his ear. Yeah, we do see that the time with the Avengers is catching up with him. And this, and he is also dealing with, uh, I want to say, being a superstar, yeah. per se, a social media influencer yeah. to a degree. Because as he's even just trying to go to the bathroom, he's having a fan come up to him saying, yo, can I get a selfie? I know who you are. My kids love you. Yeah, and he's not used to having that. He's always no. been just a, an undercover S.H.I.E.L.D. agent for the most part as the MCU has portrayed him. Yeah. So to see him now as in this celebrity status is something he's not handling very well. But we don't have really too much time to deal with that because now we jump forward to where Kate Bishop is now at a charity auction yeah. with, with her mom who now has a new fiancé. Yeah, that apparently that happened while she was away at school. And she's, it's like, oh, hey, surprise, we're already engaged. Yes. And the man's name is Jack Dukaness, mm-hmm. who is played by Tony Dalton. But if you recognize that name from the comics, yeah. that's Swordsman. Mm-hmm. And that character has a very, very unique history with Hawkeye. So 
Definitely love seeing that Easter egg in there as well, and we're going to kind of have to wait to see what's going on here. But also at this gala, Kate winds up falling into the wrong part of the gala, so yeah, we say. Yeah, the uh, seedy underside. Yes. And what does she find when she goes in there? There's like a black market auction type of thing going on, you know, silent auction. And and it's with all these big wigs and rich types because there's a skull there. There's all this other and like the skulls there, and they're like, oh, let's start the bidding at two million dollars. And I'm like, fucking what? Excuse me. But then they bring out a sword, and it's not just any sword. It's not Excalibur. It's not you know Andruil. It no, it's Ronin sword. Yes. From you know the blip time, you know, and they're starting the bidding off at a peasily two hundred thousand dollars. Right. So this is when things are really starting to escalate too, because as she's looking around the room. She does see that, well, her new father-in-law is in attendance for this. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't have a lot of time to process this because the quote-unquote tracksuit mafia crashes the party. Greatest name ever. I love it. I love it. And you see this gang go in, and they're trying to grab you know as many items as they can. And during this skirmish, Kate winds up grabbing the Ronin suit that's there mm-hmm. and donning it. Now... This definitely sends a lot of vibes out because when Hawkeye was not being Hawkeye and he went into his dark phase, yep, he was Ronin, yep, he went complete Frank Castle on everybody in the MCU. Then we we saw this in Japan a little bit in the events of Endgame, but as we find out in the episode, he did the same thing in New York. Almost, and as the one news reporter mentions later in the episode. Almost wiping out all organized crime in New York. Yeah, so... Which is a hell of a feat. When you think about it, it's like when Batman reemerges in Gotham. Yeah. If he's been gone for a little bit. Like, everybody gets that wave going out that, oh my god, he's back. Mm-hmm. When Kate dons the suit and starts fighting the tracksuit mafia with it, word is now traveling out yeah. that Ronin has come back. It's featured on the news a little bit. Yes, because after she does do a little battling away, she does break away, and she does pick up a very, very great character along the way, and that is the one pizza dog. Mm-hmm. Because when she winds up rescuing him and then they go back to the apartment, well, this is when she's also trying to go down and you know really kind of start putting piece together, and she goes to see uh, Jack's uncle. So mm-hmm. his uncle was in attendance to Armand, and when she goes to find him, well. She also walks in to see him dead on the floor. Yeah. So this is now causing quite the alarm because... Things go bad to worse. Exactly. So she is sitting there trying to get out because she's trying to piece this mystery together. Okay, what is my new father-in-law going to be doing down here? Or stepfather, should I say? And then she doesn't really have time to think about this because when she's escaping, well, the tracksuit mafia is tracking her down, but she winds up getting bailed out by one Clint Barton who noticed that she had the suit on. Yeah, because the Tracks Mafia has got beef with Ronan because, well, he tried to take out organized crime, including themselves. Yes. Uh, she's in so far over her head, it's not even funny. Like you mentioned, she gets saved by Clint Barton, and he, he just pulls the mask off and goes, oh, no. Yeah, he's like, wait, what is going on here? That was episode one, but mm-hmm. when episode two kicks right in, Kate winds up getting Clint out of there, and they go back to her place, but they're still being attacked by the Tracks Mafia. Yeah. Which is crazy, which... Then they have to wind up leaving the suit behind because after she changed out of it, 
this is their have no time to react really here. Well, yeah, because the the, the tracksuit mafia shows up, starts throwing Molotov cocktails into the into the room. Uh, Clint catches at least one or two and throws them back. She shoots a couple of arrows or whatever it is at him. I know at one point a uh, fire extinguisher gets shot out the <laughs> ricochets around the room. I thought it was an an attempt to put the fire out, but no, it was just get shot out at the guys in the in the street. You know, but the the apartment catches fire, much to the dismay of the pizza place underneath them. Yes. You know, so Clint and uh, Kate have to evacuate the apartment with the dog. And she's like, wait, the suit. He's like, we'll come back for it, you know, because otherwise we're going to die. Yeah. So they, they obviously Clint is used to being in these kind of situations. So he's being the one that is actually mentoring her about how to handle this situation. So as they take off, he has to contact his family that I'm going to be late for Christmas, mm-hmm. but he's trying to be promising that he'll be there, but you know, this is not going to fall through for him because he understands what the gravity of the situation is. Now, every single organized crime family in New York is now noticing Ronan is back. And well, if it gets tagged that he is Ronan, well, everybody's going to come looking for him. Uh-huh. So meanwhile, they're escaping he tries going back to find the suit, but the suit is gone uh-huh. because, well, somebody wound up getting it. And who is this person, Pat? It's some dude who is a LARPer, a live-action role-play uh, person. Right. So he winds up spending the majority of this episode at a LARP action event. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought when we saw this a clip of this in the, one of the trailers... That it was a like run fest type of thing, which would have made a would have made sense, but LARP is just funnier. Yeah, oh yeah, it worked out perfectly. Like this was a nice comedic break in the action because he has to sign up and actually be in the event. And one thing I thought was really cool is like when they're getting his information, like email, he's like classified. And they're like, Well, can we get your date of birth? He's like, No. <laughs> and they're like, organization? He's like, Really? I have not told you the last thing. You think I'm going to tell you this? Yeah, so it's very well placed on how this is going on. And it's even funnier because they all recognize who he is. Yeah, everybody knows that he's an Avenger. Like, this is the one thing. Well, one, he doesn't wear a mask. Right. And then, two, he's part of the greatest superhero team in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So people are going to recognize him. And he does have to go through a little wacky hijinks to get his suit back, which he eventually does. Yeah. So it's a great little, you know, break in the action to see him get the suit back. He makes a new friend, Grills. So we'll kind of have to, we see if he winds up returning later in the show. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Kate is now back at her workplace. And then later we get fast forward to where she's meeting up with her mom and her new stepdad and waiting. And they're talking about Armand's death. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, during this time period, Kate kind of recognizes something's not right. Because obviously Jack was there. And what are you guys doing at this auction? And he's being very coy about everything, yeah, too. He knows more than he's letting on. Yes. To which... Kate starts mentioning about swords and obviously the sword play. So they wind up having a little impromptu fencing session uh-huh. where Kate is winning. Yeah, because she uh, they establish in, I think it was like the opening title sequence or something of the first episode after we find out, you know, she says, oh, I want a bow and arrow. We see kind of like a quick silhouetted, you know, history of what she did growing up and all the medals she won. And one of those, a lot of those were fencing. So yes. she's no slouch. She's definitely not a slouch. Like, you kind of get a little Easter eggs about her history. Like, she grew up doing karate lessons and she grew up doing the fencing and obviously doing archery. That she is kind of a DIY character. And this kind of just inspires her when you see her finally assume the role of Hawkeye. Yeah. This will carry on through. So when you see her trying to piece this together and then she's really testing Jack, 
she winds up trying to, you know, fence him in the face when he's not looking, and he blocks it. Yeah. The mom freaks out and is like, "Going, wait, what are you doing? You know, you could have hurt him." And she's like, "No, I can't." Because there's more to him going on, and he's kind of like downplays it, and is like, yeah. "Yes, you're right." But well, well, and then the entire time, at first, he's like, "Oh no, I'm not hiding anything. I'm an open book, right, honey?" Wink, wink. Yeah. So he knows that she's onto him, and he's going to have to really be careful about covering his own tracks. Yeah. Because what she's trying to piece together is why did you kill your own uncle? Because that's what she is thinking going on. Yeah. He does wind up giving a clue, so to speak, when he whips out a butterscotch candy. That was at the uncle's place. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was like a special kind. That's, it was just more of a clue. Or it could just be a coincidence. We'll wait and see. But knowing Marvel, yeah, well, that's a big clue. Yeah, and Kate tries to convince her mom of her new beau's you know, involvement in the death. But, of course, her mom's not having any of it. Because she's doing very well for herself. Right. So she takes off because she's trying to get a hold of Clint. But Clint uh, has been more or less trekked down. <laughs> yeah, he gave himself up. Yeah, he did because he just wants to get back to his family. So he's like, here, here's the suit. But the tracksuit mafia winds up capturing him. And subsequently, Kate, too. Well, he wants to talk to the tracksuit mafia boss. And he's like, the only well, the only way I'm going to get to the tracksuit mafia is to give myself up. So he just wants, I think he ends up, we don't see it, but like he's just, we see him standing in the street with a, his bow and arrow, his bow and arrows. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so he, I think he was just wandering the streets of New York with the bows and arrows. And they tra- they tracked him down, captured him. And he's like, listen, here's the suit. I want to talk to your boss. And they're like, we want Kate Bishop. And he tries playing dumb. He's like, I don't know who that is. Yes, you do. You were seen together with Kate Bishop. I Listen, I have no idea who that name is. And in comes Kate Bishop trying to do the superhero rescue. Mm-hmm. And it falls flat on her face. Yes, as it Literally. should. As it should, because it's year one. Like you, you should not be having those perfect superhero landings just yet. Just saying. But they wind up getting captured. And then it looks as we're going to meet the head of the tracksuit mafia at the end of the episode because they go knocking on somebody's door. There's a sound wave going on, and they're saying that we have Barton and Bishop. Mm-hmm. And it turns around, and that person, Pat, is who? Maya Lopez. Yes, a.k.a. Echo, who's played by Alkina Cox. Mm-hmm. So when you see her appear more in the MCU, because it was announced that she has a show coming. Yep. So this is where we're going to kind of see how she fits into this whole equation. So that's how the show ends for the first two episodes. Yeah. So, Pad, overall thoughts on the first two episodes? Uh, good first two episodes uh, of the series. Excited to see where it goes from here. And, hey, finally, after 13 years, we officially have a standalone feature uh, for each of the original six Avengers. Yeah, very good call there. I did not realize that. Yeah. Um, this show I thought really was a nice little fun change of pace. It wasn't super serious. It kind of captured that real unique quirkiness that was Fraction and Anja's run. Mm-hmm. So if they want to keep using that kind of feeling moving forward with the show, I'm definitely for it because it's only six episodes. Yeah. So they're going to have to cram a lot in here and really tell that story. I think they they did a great job. I was more impressed with uh, Haley Steinfeld. Yeah, no, I was too. And Haley Steinfeld, have a freaking time of year, why don't you? She's in like three things that are out right now. It's insane. No, she absolutely blew me away just because I haven't really seen her in anything before. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't sure what I was going to get, but she blew me away with her performance. She was really good. Yeah, she definitely added something to the show that it needed because we have somebody that's so brooding. And even though he really isn't like that in the comics, like he's just more... The guy that always has the worst luck in history yeah. of Clint Barton. She balanced him out very well and was kind of like the, 
I hate saying optimist. Yeah. But she definitely brought a new perspective to Hawkeye's world. Yeah. And really was trying to make, you know, him see the world through her eyes in a little bit because it was just like not everything is just how you think it is, Clint. And because he's yeah. so jaded from obviously his time as being an Avenger. I mean, that's how it came across. It's like yeah. a little bit jadedness, a little bit of he's just he's worn out. And then you can oh, definitely yeah. tell. He's not into being a superhero anymore. He just wants to have a normal life, but that's not going to be the case and never will be because no, yeah, he of definitely, his history. Yeah, he doesn't really want it. You can get, definitely get the feeling he doesn't want to be a hero, especially from the scene in Times Square, I think it is, mm-hmm. where they're walking down the street and they're talking and you hear the little kid go, look, Mommy, he's a superhero, and they automatically think it's him, but it's you know one of those street characters you see in New York City. You know, and and they start arguing back and forth about she. He goes, "Oh, listen, I'm not a hero. I'm not a." Veteran. She goes, "No, your biggest issue is branding." You know, so that was funny. Their their comedic timing is just great because also in that same scene, she discovers he has the hearing aid, and she goes, "How how did you get that? Why did that happen?" And you get the quick flashback of all the explosions and the the mishaps he's had in his fights. You know, over the years, and he just goes, eh, "Occupational hazard, hard to pin down." Yeah. No, they played off each other very well. Like I, I loved how they came across on screen. Just that, you know, mentor, mentoree yeah. type vibe. Perfect. I also just want to point out when it comes to Hawkeye and the Avengers, uh, I can't take credit for this. I saw it online. Hawkeye, when he fights with the Avengers, are undefeated. The Avengers, when Hawkeye's not there, winless. It's true. It's true. Just saying. You can't fault him. I mean, for as much slack as he gets because he just shoots arrows, he's still a very tactical person when he gets in the field. Yes. Just saying. So for moving forward with the show, any speculation about what you think is going to happen, who we're going to see? I think it's going to be pretty self-contained. I don't think it's necessarily going to get as wider as sweeping as we got with maybe Falcon Winter Soldier or even Loki, just because it's Hawkeye. You know, we might get in it. We might get, you know, a small thing here or there, but I don't think it's necessarily going to get as big as some of those other shows got. And especially with his, you know, it's only got six episodes. You really don't have time to. No, I agree with you. I think that it's going to be self-contained, and like I said, they're copying the fraction of the job run. So, like, I'm not mad about this one bit as long as they really capture that essence. If they can carry that through for four more episodes, I'm good. I am curious to see, though, because I know that she's going to be appearing, and we did not see her yet with Yelena. Yeah. So how the new Black Widow is going to come across seeing Clint Barton, and that was her assignment, too. Uh, I believe she's going to be coming like a bat out of hell. Yeah. I'm just curious how this is all going to play out. <laughs> Not well. No, I, 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 don't think, I don't think it is. I mean, there's no way it can. But... She thinks he's responsible for the death of her sister. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you want to get technical about it. Kinda. Kinda, but you know, it's, it's circumstances. It's definitely not there just yet, but we'll have to wait and see. But this is what makes it really fun speculation because obviously, when she gets on screen, whenever that's going to be in the show, we do know she's in it. How that dynamic is going to be is going to be anybody's guess. But for two episodes in, I thought they did a really solid job. Yeah, um, it's a different vibe than what you've seen with Winter Soldier, um, and um, definitely a different vibe than Loki and, and WandaVision. Absolutely, this is more. I want to say like Guardians of the Galaxy feel good vibes. Kinda like it's, yeah. it's it's just in that more lighthearted tone. Like it's not as super serious as everything else. But everything can go change in an instance, and we'll have to wait till next week to see and find out. So that being said, you know the seventy-two hour social media embargo is on after the release dates, but you can definitely hit us up on social media hashtag ODPHPod. Let us know what you thought about Hawkeye by Disney Plus and Marvel Studios. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey guys, my name is JT. What's up, everyone? I'm Darren. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Josh. Hey, guys. I'm Christian. 
Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Dominic, and we're the East Coast Avengers. We're a group of five friends who get together weekly and talk about everything that's going on in the nerd universe. Whether you're a fan of Marvel, DC, Star Wars, video games, comics, or anything else nerdy that you can think of, we're the podcast for you. You can find us on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whatever streaming platform you use to listen to your favorite podcasts on. You can also catch us on our YouTube channel where we release tons of content such as vlogs, unboxings, TV and movie recaps, and trailer reactions. So if those things sound good to you, then check out the East Coast Avengers podcast. We hope you enjoy. Coming back for another segment of this edition of the ODPH podcast. And we got to recap some Fear the Walking Dead. Zombies. Absolutely. Well, there's only a few more episodes left in the season, I believe, till they take a break. So oh. kind of have to wait and see about that. Got to get a little confirmation on it because they've been building for something to happen. And they've been inching for this battle between Strand, played by Coleman Domingo, and Lenny James's Morgan Jones. Like, it's got to come to a head at some point. I'm not sure when this is all going to play out. But like mm-hmm. I said, I, I got a feeling we're going to have like a mid-season break here. And then we're going to come back in the new year and finish it up because it's good about that time of year. Yeah, because like we've now seen where everybody has been since the nuclear weapon went off. And now Texas is a nuclear wasteland for most of it. And just the fallout of what has happened from the doomsday cult. Mm -hmm. So this episode definitely shows us what is going on with another character. Uh, So I'm going to be talking some spoilers about episode six entitled Reclamation of Fear the Walking Dead season seven. So you know the deal by now. Once the countdown hits, we start talking spoilers. Pause where you need to because in three, two, one. Okay, so I did like the episode. Okay. I wasn't in love with it, but I did like it. And I do like it when they show showcase certain characters and you kind of find out what's going on with them. And this one was centered around Al, played by Maggie Grace. And her role on the show is she's always been like this... Uh, reflective journalist. Okay. Like, she goes around, she's she's more or less documenting everything that's going on with the zombie apocalypse. Sure. Like, that's what she was doing before everything sure. was going on. So she's still kind of keeping that up, and she's always been very loyal to Morgan and his group. So when we last saw her, she was getting help from her girlfriend, Isabel, who was working for the CRM. Mm-hmm. You know who they are, Pad. Uh, is that John Glover's group? No, no, no. They are the ones with the three circles that picked oh, up Rick Grimes. Yeah, they're now making again. they're now making their way through the shows. So we finally got to see them up and close in this episode. Like this is the first time on, on Fear that they've been here all season. Yeah. That has really stood out to me. Because obviously we're dealing with a follower, Al and Isabel got everybody to safety from the a bomb blowing up. So now she is going back. And kind of getting back on her own. So she's away from Isabel, so we're not really sure what's going on at this point. Mm -hmm. But she's going back to the SWAT van. Now, if you've been following Fear the Walking Dead for a while now, they did have their own combat van. Right. SWAT SWAT thing that was just annihilating zombies on the way. It's kind of like a very important piece in the Fear the Walking Dead universe. So Al has returned to it, and she's now going back to her investigative roots and just kind of seeing, like, how to induct this with everything going on. However, though, Morgan has tracked her down. And Morgan kind of figures out what's going on. And during this time, too, there is a CRM team that's coming after her. Because, well, as noble as the deed was that Al and Isabel were doing, mm-hmm. they didn't get clearance. 
to get everybody out of there. Ah, uh, okay. CRM is not exactly happy with them. No. So now they are more or less fugitives. I say fart in the wrong direction. I think they're not happy. Well, yeah, that's the thing about this. this is a mysterious group who's been now adding people and, and deciding if they're A's and B's and all that kind of wacky jazz that goes on in this universe. What kind of Dr. Seuss shit is this? It, you know, they're, they're such an odd group that for being so powerful in this you know, universe. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. And like, I, I can't really get into what their play is just yet. Obviously, whenever this Rick Grimes movie comes out, we'll get the full explanation. Yeah. If this movie ever does get released, I'm sorry. I don't watch worlds apart. I, I can't get into that show. And I just, it's only got one more season. No, this is the final season. They're done. Oh, that's yeah. yeah that's they right, only got right. a couple more episodes, but I'm like, why? I don't know. I, I might tune in for the finale to see if it was worth it, but I'm like, I, I can't, yeah. I can't because like I said, this group isn't really selling me here. Why would I tune in there? But we get most of this episode, though, is Morgan and Grace are trying to save Al and really talk her into, like, you need to go after Isabel. Like, why did you break away? You know, and, you know, now you're on the run. But Al is, like, convinced that she can't handle being in a relationship with Isabel. And, like, she has to cut all ties and go back to who she was. And that now it's like they're going to be on the run the rest of their life. Like she couldn't handle putting Isabel in that situation. So she's trying to take the heat and now be constantly on the run by herself. Right. So the deal is when she lured out the CRM, she was trying to get him to refuel the SWAT van Mm. so she could take off. And she does this in like a little tricky scenario where she's around like it looks like the Alamo or someplace like that. Sure. One of the old. Sure. Because there's a cannon. Okay. And she was testing out about how to do this big trick about blowing away some people with this cannon. Typically which, how that works. Yeah, which I, I got to admit, like, I really do like this show, but when they do stuff like this, I'm like, okay, this is a little bit corny. Yeah. I'm not feeling yeah. this whatsoever. But here we are nevertheless. So after Al is working everybody to get the SWAT van fueled up, she does lure the soldiers there and there is a standoff between Morgan and Grace mm. and uh, there's like a big fight but Al has to bail him out and she does wind up using the cannon hey it's one right. it's one of the most gory deaths you've seen of two normal people in the Walking Dead universe right there is body parts everywhere what the bodies at the floor oh my god like i sat there i was like this really is working like this, this, this i mean it's typically how a cannon works but I, yeah i know but like but like this is like a real thing but i have to also remember and to suspend reality and logic when i watch the walking dead yeah because i'm going like how the f- did you guys not see this cannon but you know i digress but the group winds up taking off with the van after there is a, like a little back and forth like they kind of do a little dragging to this episode too like I sure said, wasn't my favorite in this. Sure. But I understand, like, we can't have everything going Strand versus Morgan just yet. But once the soldiers are taken off the board, Morgan and Grace are basically talking sense into Al and mm-hmm. saying, like, listen, the CRM now has figured out where Isabel is because okay. where Isabel's co pilot was was a man, uh, Beckett. Okay. He had a cabin in the woods. Mm. that was like secluded well now they know where it is and they're saying like listen you can't leave her to die you got you got to go back and you hear al really explain like her her point of view like i just i didn't think i i could do this i didn't think i was worthy i didn't really have a belief in myself Mm -hmm. and morgan is saying listen you never gave up on me 
I'm not giving up on you. Get your ass over there and go get her. Right. So they do wind up doing this, like, role reversal. Because, like I said, Al is usually the one doing the documentary, the yeah. cameras. Yeah. Morgan flips the camera on her. Ooh. And is doing the interview. So, like, okay. it's, it's kind of like this weird back and forth that they're doing. And this is when you finally see Al break down. Like, I think this is Maggie Grace's best episode I've seen. Right. That she was really, you know, honing in on her character to really connect with the audience. Because, like, she's always been one that when you watch the show, you know she is and, and yeah. when she's on the screen. And sometimes, well, pre-nuclear bomb going off, the fear cast was a little too big. You know, like sure. one of my complaints I have about The Walking Dead. Yeah. Kind of, like, happens here and there. But they've been smarter on this show by separating people but still giving them storylines going on. So it's not like the cold, like, hey, you haven't seen this person in four weeks. They're back. This is where they're doing. Yeah. Fear's done a, a good job about explaining that. So, like, when you finally get the connection with Al and you see how she gets um, – her story is she goes back and finds Isabel. Like, she finally gets sense talking to her Morgan. Isabel is like, you know, what are you doing? She's like, we're going to be on the run for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. I don't give a crap about my camera. She smashes the camera in front of Isabel. And yeah. she's like, I'm here for you. They kiss, and they are back together. And now she's like, we got to go on the run. We're going to be on the run the rest of our lives. But I'm with you. Let's do this. And that's how the episode ends. Hmm, interesting. So, like I say, it was a good episode. It's solid. Like, I, I hate using the word filler. Sure. Kind of was in certain degrees. Oh, I got it. Because they didn't really touch upon Strand too much, even though he's going to be in next week's episode. We saw the previews for that um, at the end of this one. I can't wait to see what's going on there. But this one was just kind of a filler, just kind of tie up loose ends, because really since the group has been separated from the bomb going off, where is everybody? And I thought if this is Al's last episode, for a while at least, mm-hmm. I think they did a good job about explaining a good write-off to her. And she actually has a somewhat happy ending, okay. which is cool. Like I don't mind it seeing it once in a while in the Walking Dead universe, because let's face it, I mean, this universe is actually really horrible, and there's nothing redeeming about it. However, there's a little moments of bright you know, sunshine we can see here. So kind of have to wait to see how this all shapes out. Mm-hmm. But moving forward, episode was a solid one. And building into next week's episode, which I say, we're getting Morgan now going back to the compound to confront Strand. Is okay. it going to be the big blowout? No. But I think there's reasons behind it. So definitely want to talk about that next week. So that being said, ODPH Society, let me know what you thought about this episode of Fear the Walking Dead Season 7 entitled Reclamation. I am very curious to see what you guys thought about this one and how you're liking the season thus far. I know we've turned some people on to the show. I definitely want to hear some feedback. Like, what is the vibe when you're watching the show? Are you into it or are you not? And let's talk, shall we? But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Looking for a podcast all about nerddom? Want a podcast with an emphasis on representation? The Nerd Alternative is the podcast for you. Join me, Ram. Me, Hassan. And me, Levi. Three black British nerds tackling the pop culture we love and sharing why we love them. The Nerd Alternative, a sweet melting pot of all things nerdy. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And time to take a step into the CW universe. Gotta go fast. We haven't been here in a while. No. But we have to talk a little bit about the Flash crossover entitled Armageddon. Mm-hmm. 
So since The Flash has now returned for Season 8, we've actually had a lot of people hit us up on social media, at OD Parlay Hour on Twitter and most social media accounts, to talk about this crossover. Yeah. So we said, all right, let's give it a shot and let's see what's going on in the land of Central City with Barry Allen. So we are going to be talking spoilers about Armageddon Part 1 and 2. You know the deal by now. After the countdown, we get into it. So in 3, 2, 1. Pad... What did you think about this crossover thus far? Uh, the first episode was all right. It was, you know, first episode back after, like, God knows how many months. You know, so it was a good reintroduction, bringing everybody back together, reminding you what's going on. Certain aspects of the first episode's plot I really didn't care for. I, it was cool seeing the Royal Flush Gang, I'll say that much. I, I dug seeing them. Uh, second episode was a lot better. Second episode was fucking nuts. Yeah, since The Flash has been back... And granted, they're just coming in. They were hyping up this big Armageddon crossover, which, if you know anything about DC Comics, that is a very noteworthy crossover in the comics. Mm -hmm. Uh, How we were going to see this show up on The Flash was going to be interesting, because even looking at the promo poster, we did see some familiar familiar faces. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Roth is back as Ray Allen. Yep. We did see Cress Williams back as uh, Black Lightning. Yep. So we weren't sure exactly how this is all going to shape up, because... How the Flash has been the the previous season has been very very hit and miss. Yeah, to put it mildly. Yeah, even with the Godspeed uh, ending last year, it's a season, still wasn't really the home run I think that everybody was looking for per se. And for being the flagship show, quote unquote, for the CW, mm-hmm. uh, to some people, because at the ODPH we consider the flagship show Superman and Lois. Yes. Uh, we really weren't sure exactly what we're going to have this season in such a transition. And where we pick up with this episode in the crossover is, well, Barry has improved from the ramifications of the Godspeed fallout that he had last season. So there was no lightsaber battle this episode. There wasn't anything, you know, too cheesy that they've been doing the past couple seasons. So he's now back to work. And this time he's now facing, as Pat alluded to, the Royal Flush Gang. Long-time DC villains, and uh, definitely did a cool twist with them. And we get caught up to where everybody is for the most part. I mean, Iris has now blown up the paper she was working on, Central City. So now I believe it's the media. Central City Citizen Media. Thank you. And she's now interviewing uh, the person responsible for separating the task force. Yeah, the the, uh, meta task force, yeah. Yeah, because obviously the metas were running so crazy. There was a subdivision going on with that, with the... You know, Central City PD, and you're kind of getting touch base with everybody else that's going on. And for Brandon Roth coming back as Ray Palmer, I thought we were going to get more out of him. But this episode was just basically saying, like, hey, this is what I've been up to. Yeah, no, I mean, this was just kind of reintroducing everybody. And especially for Brandon Roth, it made sense just because we haven't seen him on any DCTV in quite some time. Right. You know, so I figure in the next couple episodes, he might have a bigger part. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping he does because this was kind of just like it, it was a nice little character piece, but it wasn't really anything too noteworthy. I mean, you find out what he's going on with his wife, and just how he's now stepped away from being a superhero and forming his own charitable organizations for development. That's yeah. that was the storyline going on with him and Chester. But then we get introduced to Despero, mm-hmm. and obviously, if you know him, he's a longtime DC villain. You can always recognize him with a third eye. Tony Curran plays him. On the show, and he was in a human form for the most part, too. Yeah. Obviously, CGI, budget reasons. I get it. Not mad about. So he has now come to Earth, and he is now basically trying to kill Barry Allen because he is convinced that Barry is going to be responsible for the world's end in thirty or 2031. Yep. So this causes Ray to come out of retirement as the Atom. They kind of fight away to step a little bit. But 
it's not really coming to any effect. Meanwhile, no. we see Cecile using her powers of telepathy to pick up Despero's brain, and she's saying he's he's saying the right things mm-hmm. that Barry is going to be responsible for the world's end. So how it kind of sums up is Barry is like, listen. Give me time to prove my innocence. You're wrong. Yeah, I, I wouldn't turn on all of my morals. Yeah. And Despero really comes to this weird agreement with him. Like, how he's being written in this show, it's 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 throwing me off a little bit. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm used to him just being more of a straight-up villain. This is, like, having that sympathetic side to him. I'm having, like, carnage, let there be carnage vibes. And sure. And I don't like it. I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm not really digging it. Because as the more he's kind of messing around with him, Barry is starting to lose his grip on reality. Like mm-hmm. going into the episode Pat is talking about and how everything just goes crazy, that suddenly Barry's just going to work and then he's getting arrested or badge suspended because he's under investigation for uh, federal tampering. Well, yeah. So he's, you know, the episode picks off right where the first one left off and they're talking and he's like, oh, I think he says he's like, you got a week or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he gives him a week. He gives him a week, but he's like, listen, I wouldn't worry about the week. I would worry, be more concerned with tomorrow. So he shows up to work. There's an investigation going on, but the, but he, his badge gets pulled because the DA was doing some, I guess, standard procedure checking into stuff and, and sorting through some paperwork and, and some new evidence had come to light and it showed that, you know, there, that there was another, might've been another inside man on one of the past investigations he worked on. Barry is all of a sudden a suspect. So he gets his badge pulled, you know, and it's just, it, it's the first moment of, Oh, and the, so the person is there standing there taking his badge and he sees Despero and Despero's like standing there like, oh, I'm watching you like, and Barry's freaking the fuck out. And the person's even like Barry, like, hey, you're not paying it. Like, what's going on? It's just one. Of, it's the first moment in a series of oh shit moments. Yeah, he has creeper watcher vibes. Yeah, like that's yeah, that's what was coming across it's me. The because, third eye, right? Because as you say, his badge is suspended. Then Star Labs is getting uh, lit rated. No, yeah, Star Labs is getting rated because there's a radiation spike. So there was apparently a law passed that like if it's anything to do with public safety regarding meta involvement, um, you know, they can just go in without a warrant. And, and shut it down and investigate it while well, the the police or whoever detected a radiation spike at star labs and they're like no that's impossible we have a uh, means for detecting radiation spikes none of them have gone off and then they go oh wait and then chester goes wait a minute no he's right the the radiation in the basement is over a thousand rads yeah and he's like why hasn't our detection gone off oh because our detection hasn't been updated in a week that doesn't make any sense and he goes into the wall where the the radiation detection is and everything in there is melted Mm -hmm. and they're like how the hell did this happen yeah so there's a little more mystery going on with this and barry makes the choice to have gideon erase everything so there's, yeah. there's nothing to track back to him well, or the gonna, team yeah because they're going to shut star labs down demolish the damn place and then take the pieces away to a nuclear waste uh dump yeah it's it's a wild scenario going on there caitlin winds up housing everybody else from team flash they are making connections with alex danvers yeah hey so, well, that was cool to see yeah so that, for being that part of the crossover is definitely cool to see her back on the screen we also do find out Kara and john are off world yeah, so Shiler Lay replies in Gorillas. Alex decides to divulge that knowledge. So the quote-unquote Justice League of the Earth-1 CW universe is not at full strength. It's a little thin. It's very thin, especially for being an alien has come to Earth, and that's their specialty. Yeah. 
Team Flash is already against it right now, so they're in uh, the negatives, shall we say. If only they had a certain person in Kansas that could help them. Mm. Just saying. Exactly. So at this point, too, we find out that Barry is, is also taking on Zotar, mm-hmm. who is a psychic yep. that is, uh, can tamper with reality of one person. Mess with people's minds. Yeah, yeah. so allegedly she is using her powers and sets up this – a scenario where Barry allegedly was attacking Team Flash and he doesn't remember it. Yeah, because she's just using her powers primarily for like stealing stuff. Like she at one point raids a museum van that's transporting a bunch of like valuable goods. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, listen, lady, get out of the way. And she's like, what if you just give me what's in the truck? And she tap touches her head and activates her powers and they do what she wants. But yeah, Barry's like, they, they, Team Flash figures out, oh, hey. Uh, Despero saying you're going to lose your mind. This meta controls people's minds. Maybe this is how this happens. So he goes to confront her and he goes running at her and he's like, oh, I don't think you can catch me. I'm too fast. And next thing we know, he's in the loft uh, where he and Iris live. The place is a fucking wreck. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Caitlin's standing there with a gun pointed at him. Uh, what is it? Chester's standing against the wall with a bolt cowering with a black mark behind his head. Mm. And then uh, you got somebody else. I forget who it was, was in the room. Uh, powers lit up, ready to go. Yeah. And he's like, wait, what? And, and Caitlin goes, what the hell is wrong with you? And he bears like, what, what, what? And they're, they're like, and they tell him what happened. And he's like, I don't remember any of that. The last thing I remembered was, and he's like, listen, I can prove it was me. Caitlin, check my vitals. Yeah. And she checks his vitals and goes, no, listen, they're elevated, but they're within normal parameters. Right. So somebody's completely working him and he has no idea who it's going on, even though it's becoming more blatantly obvious who's, you know, pulling some strings. Yeah. But then we get to the big gut punch of the episode where after Barry defeats Zotar. Yeah. He's asking where Joe is. Yeah. And what is that, Pad? Joe's dead. Yeah. And the, and it's not like a, gotcha. They were like, no, they, he, so they, Team Flash told him, no, he's dead. He runs to Joe's house where Iris is there and he's running all over the place. He breaks a couple of things. She's like, Barry, what's wrong? And he goes, where is he? Where's who? Where's Joe? And immediately Iris gets their, this look on her face and goes, don't even joke about that. Don't even like you, you know, you were there. You gave the eulogy mm-hmm. and Joe's, I guess, widow now in this case yeah. comes out and is all sorts of pissed at him. And they, and she goes, you were there and points to the mantelpiece. And there's a plaque complete with a folded American flag on the mantelpiece, you know, dedicated in memory of detective Joe West. Yeah. And it's like, Oh fuck. Yeah. So that is where Barry is just completely upside down. Like what is going on here? And then there's footage of him attacking citizens. He doesn't remember doing he escapes to the Hall of Justice. Well, because, yeah, because well, yeah, Despero shows up and it's like, yep, see, told you, yeah. you're losing your mind. Time for me to kill you. Yeah. And he almost does, if not for Team Flash coming in and saving the day. Yeah, so they wind up buying him some time. So he does break away to the Hall of Justice, and he's standing there, which is now has all the remnants of Star Labs. Yeah. And he does get confronted by one Jefferson Pierce, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Black Lightning. And like we said, Chris Williams is reprising his role. And is like, Barry, what the hell is going on? And he says the one word that I freaked out, and I know you freaked out, mm. injustice. Yeah. Which, I'm sorry, that ain't a throwaway line. It's not a throwaway line when uh, the subject matter is injustice in that universe. But who is it going to be? Because as far as we know... Uh, Tyler Holcomb's not reprising his role for this crossover. No. Uh, the only people we have yet to see appear on this are Batwoman and then Mia Queen. 
to yeah. my to my recollection from the poster. We we got it. Mia Queen's got to show up, and then Batwoman as well has to show up. So. Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure what they're going to try implying with this, unless they're trying to say something about like the Injustice Gang, possibly. Could be. It could be, but yeah, it was definitely not meant to be a throwaway line as they decided he, to break it down. He said Injustice, and I literally tweeted, "I'm like, did he just say what I think he said?" Yeah, I know you did. Dre did. <laughs> Everyone's tagging me, and I'm like, "Yeah, he just said it." I don't know how I feel about this because you need Superman to be involved yeah. in Justice. I'm just yeah. saying. Unless they're going to have Brandon Roth do double duty. Now, that would be something. Good Kingdom Come Superman again? No. I, I'm not going to be objecting to that. No. So, thus, two episodes in for the crossover. Final thoughts on it? A bit of a soft start, but I understood it. Hey, season premiere, you got you're after, like, I think the last episode was in, like, May or something like that. So, it's been a long time since it came back. Uh, but the second episode really kicked it off, and I really love the second episode, and I'm excited to see where they go from here. Yeah, I thought that they were making some moves in the second episode. Um, I'm not fully sold on it just yet. It was one of the better episodes they've had in a while. Oh, I will give you that. It's one of their better episodes. I mean, I might just be too jaded because the Flash just has been off step for so long that I to get back in it, I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. I really want to see something good with this crossover. However, though, it's being a five-episode event, and, I mean, they do show a lot of people involved. I'm just waiting to see more of a payout with it. Because, I mean, if, if episode one is just the one thing with Brandon Roth, I'm not digging it too much. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's that's kind of a, you know, a golden egg is that Survivor Series moment for me, and I'm not happy about <laughs> it. But I'm going to give this a, the benefit of the doubt and kind of see where we played out for it on Tuesday. So we'll have to kind of wait and see. ODPH Society, have you been watching The Flash? Hit us up and let us know what you thought about the crossover yet. I'm very curious to see what the temp in the room is. Are you guys loving it? Are you not watching it? And why? Let's discuss it, shall we? The Flash is on Tuesday nights on the CW, so let's interact before then, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Time to talk some one-shots, Pad. I got just two things to talk about. The first of which is just kind of a quick little how I'm feeling about the first three episodes of Wheel of Time, which came out last week. And I gotta say... Going completely blind into the show, other than what I learned at New York Comic Con, I'm loving the show. Uh, first episode is a little bit slow, but hey, you're world building. It's the first episode of a brand new franchise. You're introducing the characters and setting the stage. But like in the last third of the episode, it really kicks off and really gets going. And it really keeps it going all the way through uh, the second t- uh, two episodes, two and three. So I'm really digging the episode. I It's uh, the most watched Amazon Prime premiere this year. Wow. And it's in the top five all time, which is just absolutely insane to think of, you know, in this day and age, especially with some of the stuff that's come out on Amazon Prime, you know, over the years, you know, between The Boys, you know, Invincible, Expanse, you know, Man in the High Castle. There's been some great shows that come out on Amazon Prime over the years. So for it to be number one this year and then top five all time, uh, hats off to the crew and, and everyone involved with the show because it's a really good show that I highly recommend you check out if you are into anything fantasy. So like Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, you know, that type of stuff, because it's really good. I thought it was okay. Like, I, I here's what my fandom goes with this, though. Sure. Anything like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, it takes me a while to get into. Sure. So, like, it's the Game of Thrones I wasn't sold till episode six of the season. Sure. I hammered through it, and then I was like, okay, now I get it. 
I have the same kind of vibe here with the show. Albeit, though, I'm not a fan of some of the special effects. Okay. I think they look kind of cheesy. Yeah. No, like Especially yeah. when um, the one is summoning all the light oh, around yeah, her. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I thought I was like, ah, oh, okay, I get this. And then they have their gory moments too with the show. And like, oh. I, like I say, yeah, they do. I and I and I can understand and respect that point because obviously with dealing with the book series and you know they don't pull any punches with that as well. You kind of figure, okay, well something's going on, and you know you really want to establish the stakes are high with this. So I I don't get mad about that. Yeah. But I just thought that they could have done a slight bit better job with the special effects with that and, like, not really rely so much on the gore, even though they did to establish the battle, though. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, I'm fine with that as far as that goes down with that aspect. But there's so many moving parts going on this, too. Oh, yeah. That's what really kind of differs. Because, like, Morena, who's played by Rosamund Pike, that's the one who has all the light around her. And her story kind of gets a little sidetracked because then they go to the kids. And then they go... A break away because they're obviously running from the dark forces they're going around to bring back yeah. the dragon. Yeah. So it's a very interesting pl- set of how they have. I just wish they kind of fleshed it out a little bit more. Yeah. But I'm not, but it's not a negative thing. Though. Oh, yeah. You might have to watch, people might have to watch the first episode twice. And that's not through anything like, oh, you won't, won't understand it. You got to watch it twice to get it. No, it's just they introduce a lot. So you might miss a couple of things and just might need two episodes to really go, okay. Because I, even I, who, you know, I've written, written, I've re- uh, read Lord of the Rings more times than I care to admit. You know, even I, like, Okay, I needed to watch it twice just to go, okay, this is the people, these are the places, this is what's going on, the, you know, just to understand the kind of finer details. Yeah, that's the one thing I, that I thought was really hurting on with this. Because yeah. I was watching, I'm just like, okay, I have a rough understanding of who's good and who's bad. Yeah. But then it's like they had the one uh, villager who got bit by the leg. Oh, yeah. So I don't know, like, because my minute is like, okay, we're going to start turning into one of those dark beings that... So I thought the same supposed, thing. It was supposed yeah. to be like Walking Dead style. But, I, I thought the same thing. But no, but right now it's getting treated like a tracking device. Like, I don't know if that's going to be exactly how it goes down, but yeah, we'll see. We'll kind of have to wait to see how it plays out. But so far, it's it's been interesting. I'm not yeah. I'm not fully sold on it yet, but like I said, and I want to stress this, this stuff takes me a while to get into. Mm. I need to kind of really understand sure. where everything's going on. I get it. So I'm gonna, definitely going to give it another watch when it goes through here. And obviously, yeah. it's going to be coming out now weekly on Amazon. Yep. So definitely make sure to go check that out. I know a lot of our fellow content creating friends are raving about it. So yeah. definitely want to see it. I just hope better CGI though. Yeah. The the, the fake light stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then lastly, this one definitely caught my eyes by surprise and caught the eyes of a lot of folks. Uh, Studio Ghibli, one of the most famous animation studios over in Japan, if not the most famous, depends on who you talk to. Uh, it was announced uh, just the other day that the legendary director uh, Miyazaki is coming out of retirement to direct one more film for Studio Ghibli. Wow. So if you don't know the name of uh, Hayao Miyazaki, you might know some of the films he's known for. Stop me if you've heard any of these. Spirited Away. My Neighbor Totoro. Howling, or excuse me, Howl's Moving Castle. Mm. Yeah, that's like some of the most famous uh, anime movies of all time. Yeah, uh, he's coming out of the retirement to do one last film, or as I mentioned, uh, the film is confirmed to be the adaptation of the 1937 popular novel "How Do You Live." Uh, and he said in a recent New York Times interview that it's going. Uh, he's described it as a fantasy film on a grand scale. Uh, he said, "Quote: The story comes, or st- excuse me, the story concerns a 15-year-old boy in Tokyo, small for his age and fond of mischief, whose father has recently died." In the English translation. Bruno Navaski published uh, in October, the boy gazes out uh, out at the city and is overwhelmed. Uh, the witching self, the, uh, the self being watched, 
or excuse me, the watching self, the self being watched, and furthermore, the self uh, becoming conscious of all this, the self observing itself by itself from afar, all of those various selves overlapped in his heart, and suddenly he began to feel dizzy, close quote. So yeah, he's his uh, Miyazaki, legendary director, is coming out of retirement to do one more film. So it's going to be highly anticipated, and everyone's going to be excited for it, myself included. Uh, the last and just the reason this is so big is you know in terms of you know credits and, and stuff on IMDb, you know he last uh, directed a short film that came out in 2018. You know, and his last full length feature film was The Wind Rises, which came out in 2013. Mm. You know, so it's been a while since he's really done anything, and he's a he's a legendary director. So I'm excited to see this come out and and see what he does because he does good work. Yeah, I'm definitely amped up to see this. I mean, this is a legend coming back to the to the fold here. Yeah, can't wait to see what he's got going on. All right, so for my one shots, lot of parlay points blogs for the comic shops this week. This is a stacked week if you're heading down. Mm-hmm. So just to name a few, House of Slaughter number two by Boom Studios. Oh boy! So if you are into something is killing the children, which is a phenomenal book, I'm starting to get into that now. This is kind of a little prequel backstory of what's going on. It's been a great read so far with what James Tynan and company is doing on this book. If you're into that universe, this is a must read. It's been entertaining as all hell. Um, and just kind of deep diving into what is makes this universe tick. Like, I am fully on board with this. That's what I said. I'm going to start rereading Something is Killing the Children just because of this. And from Valiant Studios, or Valiant Studios, I should say, Valiant Entertainment, this book I've had circled on my calendar since I got the preview sent uh-huh. to us by Valiant, Harbinger Number 2. So what they're doing in this book, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing and Robbie Rodriguez are your uh, creative team on this. They are absolutely crushing this. If you are familiar with The Harbinger from the early days of Valiant, you know it was a teen book. And then now they've just kind of compiled it as one Peter Stankage, who is the most powerful and dangerous being on the planet, per se. Mm -hmm. So he can do a lot of stuff with his mind. And what they've done with this, not going complete spoiler here, because I don't want to ruin this for the book. I want everybody to actually go buy the book is he is woken up, he doesn't have memories of anything that's gone on. And he's really trying to piece his life together, but he doesn't have time Mm. because he's getting hunted down because obviously with his pedigree, it's better to have him under control than not in control. So individuals are trying to make some moves to go get him. And how this all kind of shapes up, I thought they did an absolute bang-up job with this. The art in this book I'm showing Pad right now is freaking insane. That's different, and I kind of dig it. Yeah, it has a whole different, like, the easiest way I can describe it is, like, you remember Legion on FX? Yes. That kind of artistic vibe to (laughs) it. The show I needed to watch three times to get what was going on. But still, like, they're doing such a bang-up job with this book and, like, how they're setting everything up. It's nothing like you've really seen on the shelves right now. Oh, yeah. So I'm giving it the highest possible recommendation to go pick up. Uh, Definitely make sure you're checking it out because – Valiant does great work, and I know we we hype them up a lot here because every book that we mention on Parlay Points, I read and I buy. Oh, yeah. So just putting that out there. And I also want to give a shout-out to Pocus Hocus. Now, we've had this book on before mm-hmm. from Bad Bug Media. Uh, the book is done by Alan Dunfer, Will Radford, Brian Bolando. Uh, this is an indie book that came across our wire. They sent me the copy of the second issue because it's done by Kickstarter. Listen, this is a fun book. I dig it a lot. It's not something that's typically up my alley. Yeah. But I like how they just have this 
Fosty and Deal go complete awry, and now you have this dynamic where, well, you got more than you bargained for, and you have to bail me out. Sure. And with one of the most degenerate magicians on the planet doing the thing. This is a fun book. It's dark humor, mm-hmm. but it's definitely absolutely crazy. I dig it. I can. I want to say, if you were looking for something to get behind, definitely go check these guys out. We are going to be having them on the ODPH in 2022. We just got to narrow down times. They want. Right. They want to come on. I want to have them on. But if anybody knows Pat and myself outside of this uh, ODPH world. We are kind of busy right now in this holiday season. Yeah, a little bit. So we cannot guarantee when we can make it on shows or have guests on right now. That will clear up in January. So we're definitely going to be having the guys on from Pocus, uh, Fo- uh, Hocus on in that time. So definitely want to make sure. Go support the book. And like I said, issue three, I think, will be out on Kickstarter in January, if I'm not mistaken. But I can definitely find that information out for you. So just all you got to do is shoot me a DM and hook that up. And definitely go check out Pocus Hocus. It's a fun, fun book. Uh, two quick things for one-shots because we got to recap. This was such a stacked week. The Pat and I could not narrow down everything to watch at once. Yes. So we had to kind of pick and choose what we're doing. Uh, there's been one project, though, I've been waiting since New York Comic Con to talk about, and that is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm-hmm. The embargo is up, so I can give you my review and opinion about this because I know you're hearing a lot of it. 3FN did an amazing job with it this week, so definitely go check out what Rich and Diesel had to say about it. Uh, this movie, though, Pat, mm-hmm. now you're not into the Ghostbusters franchise. You've never I've seen it? N- I've not seen a single movie. Okay. So we will be talking a little bit of spoilers on this. Sure. So this movie is taking place in the legacy of the Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd uh, franchise. Yeah. So Jason Reitman is the director, obviously Ivan Reitman's son. Mm-hmm. And this really picks up when this single mom and her kids go to take over this farm that's in the middle of Oklahoma, I believe. Okay, Midwest. Midwest. And they take over their grandfather's farm, who has died. Sure. Well, the grandfather who died was Egon Spengler, played by the late Harold Ramis. Okay. So they wind up inheriting the Ghostbuster legacy that he was going that he was uh, doing this project for, and we find out exactly what happened since the last Ghostbusters movie with him in it. That's good. To now, and it's all the feels, all the emotions. If you are into this franchise. It's a perfect love letter. That's good. So they definitely knock it out of the park. Paul Rudd's in it as the uh, science teacher in the small town. The newest, sexiest man in the world. Yes. And he does a great job with it. The cast, they nailed it. Like, everybody was so on point with this, especially McKenna Grace, who played uh, Phoebe, who is the granddaughter Ah. of of Egon. Okay. And she was awesome in this film. I definitely got to put her over about that. Like, she was just, she stole every scene she was in. That's good. So... With that being said, if you are into this franchise, I give it a very, very high grade. Um, I, in fact, I was talking with Rich from 3FN. We went to go see it again. Rich has seen it three times. I've seen it twice already. Now. Right. So I know it's Certified Nerd on the 3FN scale. I would back that as well. Grading-wise, I give it an 8.5 out of 10. Okay. I don't like doing numbers on the show. Sure. But I'm going to say straight up, that is it because it hits in all the nostalgic feels. There are some moments, though, that maybe they kind of could have done a little better in, but it's not much because it doesn't take away from it. It will hit you in all the feels of if you grew up watching this franchise. Yeah. And if you and for if you haven't, you'll still enjoy the film. Sure. You won't get as much of an emotional kick, though, as if you haven't seen the other films. Because when I got into films and really started going to movie theaters, 
This was one of the first movies I went to go see. Right. And I was like blown away by it. I was like, what is this? This is crazy. And this really kind of was one of the films that really made me fall in love with cinema. Yeah. So to see how they did this job, it was perfect. There are two bonus scenes at the end, so make sure to sit through it. You won't be disappointed. And to see where they go with this franchise moving forward is going to be absolutely incredible. Like I'm super excited to see where they're going from here because I have a feeling we'll see them back sooner than later in a different genre or style. So, but, and I know some people might be sitting there going, Pat, have you not seen Ghostbusters before? Well, when the first one came out, uh, I wasn't born yet. Yes. When the second one came out, uh, depending on the timing of year, I either wasn't born yet or not even a month old. Um, you're looking, trying to find the release date on this damn thing. Where is it? Da, 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 da. Yeah, no, it wasn't even born yet. So the first two movies came out, I wasn't even born yet. So then you got the TV show, which again, came out when I wasn't born. So this franchise primarily from when I wasn't born yet. My parents never owned it on VHS, so they never like, hey, you like with a lot of parent kids get introduced to movies and franchises from their parents with, oh, you should watch, let's watch this movie together. My dad never owned it, so it was never on TV when I was home. It was never on, you know, one of the tv channels you know like a usa or tnt or something on regular rotation so i never saw it through there so hey get off me no but the thing about it though pad knowing you and knowing what you're into harry potter yeah the magic stuff yeah you would love this franchise all right and that's why i say like it still holds up to this day like i mean some of the stuff in the 80s you got to take in perspective yeah. yeah i got that but the comedic stuff with bill murray and dan Aykroyd and ernie hudson and Annie Potts and, you know, everybody that's come through that franchise. And, and like we said, the late Harold Ramis, this is one of those movies that you could still throw on today. Some of the stuff sure might be a little outdated. Sure. But it will still make sense. Oh, and yeah. you can still enjoy it for what it is. And then when you watch this film, like this was a modern retelling of what that franchise was. It was it did everything it needed to do. Yeah. Like it gave a good closure to that chapter yeah but if they want to reopen it they also left it open where it makes sense mm -hmm. and that's one thing i really enjoyed about this film like i can't i can't speak enough good things about it and like uh, i say it's like blues brothers a lot of that is the look and feel of that movie is very dated but it still holds up yeah so definitely i give it a high recommendation to go check out the movie theaters go see it if you can if not make sure to make a point to catch it when it's on streaming it'll be definitely worth your time and then lastly you knew i was going to talk about this this week i knew you weren't going to forget about it Cowboy Bebop on Netflix. So, what did I think? Uh, for being the legendary Japanese anime brought to life, starring John Cho, Mustafa Shakir, and Daniel Pineda, I thought it was good. Okay. I, I thought it was not exactly a home run, but I was entertained. And I thought when you had those three on screen, uh, John Cho, Mustafa Shakir, and Daniela Pineda, as Spike, Jet, and Faye. When they were there together, I thought they knocked it out of the park. I loved how they they captured the essence of Bebop. And they really brought that to life. However, though, I think there were some moments that really did not translate as well. Sure. I thought that there was a couple moments between Jet and Spike that they were laughing and it felt like forced mm. humor. And I was like, oh, this feels cringy. Like, yeah. this is not connecting yeah. with me. Yeah. Um, but I thought for overall, they really nailed it. I thought the vibe was there. Like it's different. It's, sure. And I want to say it wasn't a perfect retelling of the anime. So we have to keep that into perspective. Well, I think a lot, I know a lot of people are kind of shitting on it just because oh, it wasn't lived up to what their expectations are. And they were expecting a one-to-one -one adaptation of the anime. Like you're not going to get that with any adaptation, be it anime, cartoon, book, 
video game. Maybe this is just me being used to 10 years of it with Harry Potter mm-hmm. and, and the first couple of movies going, oh, I can't wait to see X, Y, and Z moments. And then they didn't happen. And I'm like, well, then you think about it. Like you can't expect fifth Harry Potter book is like 500 fucking pages long. Yeah. If you do a one-to-one adaptation of that book into a movie, it's going to be like nine hours long. Like that's just not feasible. So I think, yeah, some of your favorite moments might get cut out of whatever your thing is getting adapted into TV show, movie, video game, whatever it is. But you got to remember it's an adaptation and just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing. I was more curious about how they're going to do the vibe. Sure. And that, how that was going to portray. Like, cause I mean, this is such a prestigious anime. Like you can't really fumble around with it. You can't dance with it sure. too much. I thought they nailed it for the most part. However, there were parts that I was like, eh, this didn't go. And probably the biggest attraction is Vicious, played by Alex Hassel. Okay. Okay, Vicious is the main villain in the anime. Okay. I didn't think they did a good job with him. Mm. I really didn't. I, I was not a fan. Was it the writing or the casting? <sighs> More writing, I think. Sure. I, I, like, I'll, I'll lean for that because I just think they tried changing uh, certain elements of his story around too much. Sure. That it didn't resonate with me. Sure. Like, they they changed around a couple of the stories to really give some character growth. Like, Faye, they did. Yeah. I mean, the LA Times had a great article about this, too, and, and so I have to give a little credit for that. That they, they were t- they did give some, you know, more updated backgrounds. Yeah. Which I was like, okay, this works. This definitely works on this level. Um, But I think in, in Vicious's case, it did not. Sure. And it's like one of those situations, like, I understand what they were going with, but it just didn't feel like a mesh. It, it synced up right. It just felt like they were trying to mesh it together and just didn't go through. So overall, if I got to give it, we'll do the grade system again. I would give it like a six and a half out of seven. Okay. Like in that kind of range right now. Like I thought they nailed it for what it is. It's entertaining. You capture the essence of Bebop. So if you've never seen Bebop, you'll get the vibe of it. Right. Pretty much. Right. But I think, though, if you watch the anime, the anime is a lot better. Okay. And I think they really nailed the point home with Vicious and Spike and their relationship and, you know, like their history. You'll you'll understand that better. And you'll get so much more of a payoff than you did with the show. Because I think they kind of more focused on different areas instead of just really honing in on that. Like, you know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, to- no totally. Like I say, it's just it's it's kind of weird because like I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but with these characters and like how this was like the backbone when the finale hit of the anime, you're like, holy shit! Yeah, I didn't get that vibe when I saw this. Like for the final episode, I was like, okay, right. like I get it, sure, but I also could think like you know if they want to try you know moving forward, whatever they're thinking about doing with the franchise. If they want to try dipping back into this universe, I don't I don't necessarily know how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think I'd be happy if it was one and done, but if they want to go back with it, as long as they get the people involved back on it and really capture the essence, I could see it being okay. Yeah. But um, but I wasn't too too sold on it, though, like to see it happen again. But, okay. but like I say, I'm not ripping it up too, too much in the shreds. I just think that, yeah, it's kind of one of those vibes that, like, meh. I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, the more I'm analyzing it, the more I'm, I'm deep diving into it. I don't want to do that. So I'll just sum it up like this. Give it a watch if you're worth checking out. If you're kind of want to, you know, dip your toe into the pool. Okay. But definitely watch the anime no matter what. 
and the anime will connect with you much, much better. So I'll leave it at that. All right. So that all being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that a shout-out to the robots. They're fantastic people. I can't support them enough. If you're looking for a band to go support on Black Friday, Pat, where should you go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing on over to the music section of the website. You can check out everything going on with Shout, everything going on with Floodlands, everything going on with Yard Party, Second Suitor, Tom Jolube, Brian Wolf. If you want to go support some musicians on Black Friday or Cyber Monday, go do that. Some of them got Patreon. Some of them got merch. You can definitely go hook that up. Go get some music. It'll definitely help support them. They do fantastic work. We co-sign on everybody that's on that page. You can also check out Parlay Points like we touched upon. New blogs coming out this week. I still might because I don't know why, Pat. I'm going to try doing more blogs this week. Good Lord. I don't know why. But I, in worst case scenario, I'm going to be doing some um, comic mentions on Black Friday. So definitely mention some Kickstarters you want to go support. Go checking out some other projects to you know help support some indie comic creators. So we'll be doing that on OD Parlay Hour on Twitter, but definitely I'm going to see if I can sneak out some on Parlay Points this week. I don't I don't necessarily know time-wise if I'll be able to do it or not. All right. But at least I can give a shout-out to some people. But also, while you're at the website, you can check out the directory. We're pad. Where are we now? Like over 11,000. Yeah, it's crazy. Like We're getting more providers getting put on every day. Can't thank it enough and can't thank the good people at Good Pods enough. Uh, I got verified. Hey. How crazy is that? So definitely want to shout them out. If you're looking for a place to listen to indie podcasts, go check out Good Pods. I'll give them a free plug. They're great people to work with. Uh, and the link is right there, too. So it writes itself. And also want to mention about the classifieds, which have friends of the show. Once again, looking for somebody to support on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, go check out that list. Tell them the ODPH sent you. Also, check out the organizational link support Black Lives Matter and all the amazing pod groups we are in via Pod Chaser. So, shout out to the Inner Circle. Shout out to the Apocalypse, which that was taking up a lot of time today. Thank you for everybody's patience there. We did kind of a little rehash technologically. So, uh, you want to find out about that? Uh, just search out the hashtag. We'll talk about it. And of course, shout out to hashtag 607 Podcast and our good friends over at 8122 Productions and everything going on with their Patreon as well. Patreon.com slash 8122Productions.com. Uh, minus the dot com there. See, it's that kind of show. We we're kind of loaded up. It's that it's that time of year, Pat. Yeah, it is. Uh, real crazy, real busy. Yes. And then the T Public store, man, oh, man, oh, man, we got so much going on. That's why you, we just say swing on over to odphpodcast.com. You won't be disappointed. That's all we got for this week. So for the one only, Pat O1J. Uh, there's a certain song in episode one of Hawkeye that I don't want to spoil, uh, but you can now find said song on most streaming platforms. Yes. I'm in for that. Just saying. I'm your host, Kenham. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Darkness has crept into
little task you had to make 